Their jerseys may not hang in the rafters in Staples Center, but they hang in our hearts. You're listening to the Forgotten Lakers podcast. Oh, and don't forget, check out Forgotten Lakers on Instagram. Hi, Jelani. Jeff, what's good? How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm pretty good. Not too bad. Cool. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this. I really appreciate you coming on. No worries. How many How many guys, how many Lakers have you guys done so far, Jeff? Uh, gosh, about almost, I think I'm approaching 50. Damn. Yeah, including a lot of your teammates from O2. You've been, you've been busy. Yeah, I noticed uh, I, I, I followed you here and there, but I didn't know you've gotten all the way up to 50. Yeah, something like that. Maybe like 45 or so. Uh, I haven't been doing it as much lately. Just work's been crazy. And then, um, you know, uh, to be completely honest, after Kobe passed, I haven't really reached out to guys. Just I didn't know if they'd feel like talking about anything. So I just kind of haven't been reaching out. But um talked to a lot of yeah. your teammates from O2. Um, some guys who were there early on, like Mike Penberthy and Joe Crispin. Uh, I did uh, an episode with Samaki Walker, Devin George, um, Mark nice. Madsen. I even did nice. an episode with, uh, yeah, yeah, those are all great guys. Um, I even did an episode with your former strength coach, Jim Cotta. Cotta. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. he's been that was a, Yeah, and even some training camp guys that you were in training camp with, like Paul Shirley and Peter Cornell. Big P and Paul Shirley. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Good job, man. Good job. Yeah, thanks. And I think the last... I uh, I just did an episode two with Jeff Perlman, who wrote that book that you were featured in a lot. Um, that was the I last haven't read. I haven't. Uh, yeah, I haven't. I haven't got a chance to read it yet. But uh, how is it? Oh, it's great. Uh, yeah, I just blew through it. I mean, it's just an, such an interesting time in Laker history. Uh, listeners, I know if they haven't read the book, it's called Three Ring Circus: Kobe, Shaq, Phil, and the Crazy Years of the Lakers Dynasty. Um, yeah, it's about 400 pages or so, but I, I blew right through it. I think most people will too if they're hardcore Laker fans. Good job, Jeff. Congratulations. I'm not, can't, I'm not a writer, but I can't imagine that being an uh, uh, easy thing to do. And he's, no, like I said, he, he, went, he went around, he's, he was pretty thorough on covering most of that team. So congrats to Jeff. I think I'm, I'm, I'm happy for him. I'm going to read it. Yeah, you definitely should. So that was the last episode I did. Then shortly before that, I did a one with Lindsey Hunter, too, your old teammate. And that's my good good friend of mine, great guy. Okay, you got all the good guys. Not that everybody there's any bad guys, but you definitely got all the good guys. <laughs> yeah, it's been fun. It's been fun. Um, and then actually last night, uh, I posted a picture of the 2002 team photo on the Instagram and said, like, oh, another guy's coming on. Any guesses? And Jim Cotta responded asking if I was going to talk to uh, Rudy Garcia-Duenas. Um, yes. <laughs> I had reached out to him. I've never gotten a response, but then Cotta said he'd hook me up. So I'm hoping that happens. Yeah, because at first when the Forgotten Laker thing uh, comes up, you know, it doesn't, I don't, I, I don't know, it doesn't necessarily sound like a, like a sweet thing to do, but considering like uh, what I've gone through in the transition in my career, and what a lot of guys have gone through, gone ha- uh, gone through is good for somebody like yourself. I don't know. Are you a journalism by? Are you a journalist by trade, or is this just a hobby? Just no, completely just a hobby. I've always just been a right. uh, you know hardcore Laker fan since I was a kid, and um, you know I always wanted to do something like this, and then I kind of got tasked with starting a podcast at my uh, previous day job. And kind of just figured out the logistics. And then once I had the 
knowledge just i started reaching out to a couple guys on social media but and it's really interesting you say that because I've, I've gone back and forth with changing the name like a million times i never meant it as like an insult or anything um i just meant it as guys who you know obviously aren't that's a us thing that's not a jeff frailer thing that's a us and professional athletes and egos and sometimes then you know when you're out and you're down and you're when you're down and out of your career i mean Hell, some people don't even understand social media like that, you know, and that was right when I was just probably starting to really take Instagram seriously. So now I think what you're doing is awesome. I think the name is great. You know what I mean? And as long as you're doing positive things with about it, it sounds like you're getting around to, like I said, the good guys. And, and, you know, as long as positive things that come about it, you know, I'm all for it. So, you know, don't worry about changing that name. Oh, cool. Thank That's you. That's just yeah. my advice. That's just my yeah. advice. <laughs> I mean, I've wondered if uh, some guys have, uh, you know, maybe not responded to me because of the name, but I mean, I've gotten a decent amount of guys to come on and yeah, definitely all positive. I love hearing the Lakers stories like I did with you last week. I love posting y'all's highlights if I can find them. Yeah. And I haven't seen a lot of my Laker highlights, you know what I mean? Because I didn't get a lot, a ton of tick that year. So it was, like I said, once I saw that, I realized, you know what I mean, how much good it could do. For, mm-hmm. a form, for a former player or for players in any, especially for the Lakers market, that's probably one of the biggest names uh, in sports. Right. You know what I mean, not only the NBA, so if you could have whatever minutes that you can have, you know what I mean? Because this is before Instagram and social media and all that stuff. So that was like on KCAL. So if you can find you oh, know, yeah. highlights of, you know what I mean, on, on KCAL, you know what I mean? You're pretty much doing your job and, you know, trying to, you know, go through the archives. So I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. It's fun. Um, you know, like you, whenever I posted anything for you, you usually commented or liked it. And um, gosh, a lot of you're another Bruin, Tracy Murray, and I interact all the time on Instagram when I post his stuff. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah, thanks. The UCLA guys are, have been nicer than most. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we try. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Uh, what's keeping you busy these days? For right now, just, you know, most keeping me busy, keeping myself safe right now. You know, I started my own production company, small production company. So we've been doing storytelling and a couple of different mediums, um, whether that be podcasts or you know, interviews or mini docs. So I've just been, you know what I mean, keeping along with the trail, the trail that Kobe Bean set and mm-hmm. going in after a lifelong passion of mine. I've always been in the storytelling. I wanted to go to film school when I was at UCLA. But, you know, film school and, you know, Division One basketball is a whole different animal back in 1995. So it was pretty mm-hmm. much, you know, pick a major that you can deal with, you know what I mean, and, you know, play for the defending national champs. So, you know, plus back then, the most people that were getting into UCLA film school already had, like, short films and stuff that they had done. And that right. was out of my depth at the time. So uh, that was my intention. So I kind of focused on broadcasting, you know what I mean, and stuff like that. You know, there's, you know, the atypical, you know what I mean, athlete's degree, but I had every full intention and, you know, and pursuing something in that until, you know, the NBA career dropped into my life and other things in life. But I'm getting a chance to do that now, you know what I mean? A shout out to the, you know, athletes out in the space that have opened up doors uh, for retired athletes and, you know what I mean, present athletes and in, 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 in that's in the same life so that they're able to, you know, control their stories and narratives and, you know, uh, right. Paint themselves in the light, in the, in the in the light that you know the communities and their families need to see. You don't have to be a journalist now, like you know, you know what I mean, to tell the right stories. 
at the end of the day in 2020. Are these uh, stories, you know, sports related, basketball related, or are they touching on other areas? They've been touching from, you know what I mean, from some stories from sports. Obviously, sports is, is the uh, conduit for a lot of our stories, but it's coming from a lot of legacy players that have uh, stories that have been told, present players. Uh, I've been fortunate enough to, let, to collaborate with a couple of my teammates in the content space to uh, to um, do some things that we have planned for 2021. Mm-hmm. So uh, that that's pretty much been my whole jam uh, lately. Has just been studying the space, uh, whether that be from podcasts to live streams to any other things that we've been able to do. Fortunately, during this pandemic, um, I've just been uh, focused on hunkering down on those, being a good dad, and you know, staying in shape. Oh, cool. Um, how old are your children? Uh, Ten and seven. Oh, fun. Uh, my daughter just turned seven a couple weeks ago. Oh, nice. A Sagittarius, or she? Is, is she? What is it? What is her? What is her? Gosh, you know, I've never kept up with that too much. Uh, her birthday is November twenty-first. Uh, yeah. yeah, so I, I'll look that up. Just you know, I just that's never really been an an interest of mine. But everyone always asks me what mine sign is, and I never really, I can never. It's not a big that. deal. It's just yeah. good to know offhand. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> in, the, in the conversation, it's all good. Yeah. So you touched on the pandemic a little bit. Uh, I mean, what, how is that? I mean, just affected your, I mean, I know everything's like drastically changed for everybody, but uh, what's been the most difficult part of that for you? Uh, The most difficult part of it, honestly, for me, uh, has been the effect on my kids. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, them not being able to go to school, you know, play with people, you know what I mean, have that social aspect of schooling. And uh, having them watch, you know, go through like several different emotions during the pandemic, doing virtual Oh, virtual yeah. school, virtual homeschooling, all that stuff. My son was just starting to peak as a basketball player for, you know, for his age where he finally was starting to get interested in club basketball. Uh, found another, found a good team with a good friend of mine, Andre Miller, you know, another 20-year NBA player. Oh, cool. So uh, we were going we to start a team in San Diego, but the pandemic hit and kind of changed things. And my son, bless his heart, he's real close to his grandparents, so he would much rather keep himself safe and in a bubble as opposed to play club basketball right now and, you know, jeopardize the health of his grandparents. So oh, that's sure. a sacrifice he made as, yeah, as, as a 10-year-old, and I'm going to honor that. Wow, that's pretty impressive. Very cool. Yeah, not too bad. Uh, uh, so given that this is a Laker-centered, Laker-centered podcast, I thought I'd jump right into the 2001-2002 season. Um, you were coming off a three-year stint in Seattle. And uh, what led to your free agency decision to sign with L.A.? Uh, I'm a lifelong Laker fan. I'm a West Coast guy. You know what I mean? I was born in Oakland, uh, grew up in San Diego, you know, obviously played at UCLA. Mm -hmm. So um, I I grew up a Laker fan. And to be honest with you, I turned down guaranteed contracts. My my agent at the time, Dan Fagan, rest in peace, thought it was a horrible idea for me to actually um, (laughs) – for me to actually come to the Lakers. He thought it would have been better if I would have joined the Nuggets at the time. But uh, I, I, I was bullheaded, you know, and I still don't regret the decision of taking, you know, turning down non-guaranteed deals. But I was fortunate. It was a tough season. I didn't get a chance to know uh, to play. And obviously I was more than qualified to play. Mm-hmm. I started against the Lakers the previous two years, too, I think, and I was involved in giving the Lakers I think maybe the worst defeat at home, I think, was a Sonic. 
So um, oh, wow. in the previous year, so uh, uh, like I said, I've been a starter. You know, I was a third-year right. player. I was well in a position to go somewhere and play a lot of minutes. But it was, you know, it was this opportunity I didn't want to turn down and end up signing, you know what I mean, a non-guarantee to come to the two-time defending champs. So you said, I mean, you touched on the fact that you didn't play a lot. Did you know yeah. that that may be the case going in? I mean, so they had obviously – Shaq, Ori, Samaki Walker, Slava, Slava, Slava Samaki. Yeah, Slava said yes to a podcast, and then when I responded back to him asking about when it would work, he never responded again. So that was like two years you ago. Had I'll, him. Get him one. You I'll get him one. Had day. Him. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you keep chipping away. You almost had him. Slava uh-huh. was a Slava's a good dude, a good basketball player, man. Those were always good too. Um, to be honest with you, I thought that I would play. Yeah. Um, uh, that's just, you know, that's just in an athlete's nature. You know what I mean? Like I said, I played minutes against that team the two previous years. So, mm-hmm. um, but at the time, um, I was, it was more of a, if, if you let uh, coach, uh, coach, uh, I'm blanking on his name right now. This is my guy. Uh, Lakers somebody assistant? on that staff. But yeah, Lakers assistant. Jim Clemens, Frank Hamlin. Yep, there you go. I knew you was going to get it right away. Jim Clemens at the time, you know, uh, was telling me, you know, to buy my time, you know what I mean? I was being groomed for that position. You know, it's kind of hard coming to a new team, um, but much less coming to a new team with it as a defending back-to-back champions, NBA mm-hmm. world champions, you know what I mean, with two of the greatest uh, uh, players, you know, in their position at the time to uh, on the team. So I knew I was up against it, but I did think I was going to be able to crack, you know what I mean, some form of, you know, rotation. Whether that, if it wasn't 15 minutes, you know, I thought I was going to be able to at least get Mad Dogs minutes or, you know, Slavas because, you know, they, right. uh, uh, they've they had at least, you know, 10, 15 minutes here and there and were able to, you know, depending on what they did with those, led to them getting 15 to 17 minutes. So, you know mm-hmm. how that if you if you you know how that game is played, especially at that time during the Lakers, you know what I mean. The way Phil and you know the assistants and you know the way the culture with the Lakers, you really had to buy every minute that you got. You had to earn it. So right. um, I didn't get an opportunity to get in crack into the rotation like I wanted to, but it was still a phenomenal experience. What were your initial impressions of the Laker organization starting in camp and then as the season started? Man, my initial, my initial uh, impressions were like it was a real-life, you know, championship organization. Uh, coming from the Sonics, the Sonics, now the Sonics were a world-class organization. We had our own plane, one of the teams with our own plane. Um, you know, uh, we had a practice facility early on. So the, 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 at the time, I was just coming from the Sonics, which was a, at the time a world-class organization in, in, my, uh, in my book. So coming to the Lakers, that was, you know, I wasn't let, definitely wasn't let down the way things were run. Um, the professionalism, you know, the class of excellence, you know what I mean, like a Oakland A's, New York Yankees, you know, a type of organization you could tell that it was expected to, you know, contend for championships every year. So it was definitely that vibe when I got there. Did any of anything like surprise you that was like shockingly different from Seattle when you got to the Lakers? Well, I would say the warmth of the team, you know what I mean? It was kind of more cliquish in Seattle. I would say when I was there with the Lakers, I think, you know, we all was part, we all went to eat. For the most part, you know what I mean? We all went to eat. We all did team events, team meals 
throughout the year. The meditation was obviously key, literally, you know what I mean? I know they say that on T-shirts and stuff, you know what I mean? But meditation was key throughout the year when we used to, uh, you know what I mean, get uh, synced up with one another. So I think uh, the obvious impression of just the holistic environment of how things went, you know, the Zen type of Buddhism environment that Phil had created that, Kobe and Shaq, you know, and guys like that bought into, it was just, you know, I had come from a different set of superstars. I had Gary Payton, Vin Baker, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Patrick Ewing, guys like that. It was a different type of superstar. Those guys hadn't won championships at the time. So it Mm -hmm. wasn't definitely a letdown coming over to that locker room and seeing how championship, you know what I mean, and Hall of Fame players go about their daily business. Um, So that was a year that, I mean, compared to other years, the Kobe Shaq thing hadn't wasn't like quite as, you know, it didn't have quite like a big blow up like it did in years past or like it would in the future. But was it something that, you know, was there every day, like attention or are there any particular moments that stick out to you where you saw that, you know, there was a lot of friction there? And to be honest with you, Jeff, you know what I mean? I'm used to like my three years in Seattle were like 82 games and practices of tense moments. You know, I'm playing with Vernon Maxwell. Uh, you know what I mean, Horace Graham, Patrick Ewing, Gary Payton. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know what I mean. It was a di- Reuben Patterson. Oh yeah. I mean, Rashard Lewis. It was a different type of environment o- over in Seattle. You know, and it was a different type of style of play. It wasn't a static situation. It was very frenetic, very defensive oriented. So me coming to you know what I mean, the triangle offense and having to teach myself every day, pretty much to sit still. You know what I mean? Was a uh, was a different thing to get me uh, get used to, but uh, it was just like like I said, it was two different two different environments and uh, two different styles of play and just two different ways of going about business. Right. Yeah. So I've asked a, a few of the guys from your year, particularly that, and it's, it seems like everyone's you know kind of on your same page. Just that you know it was something that was there, but. I mean, everyone was a professional and you are able to work through it and obviously won your third straight title. Yeah, but like like it's supposed to be there, Jeff. We're talking yeah. about, you know, going to three straight titles. You're looking at each other every day, you know what I mean? Playing on Christmas, playing the Christmas games, traveling during the holidays, you know what I mean? All-star games, you know. So it, to me, if you're talking about contesting for one title, you know, there has to be a little bit of drama involved. Nobody wants to sit around nobody, you know what I mean, in a foxhole and all those other different uh, adages that you heard throughout the year with nobody that's not battle-tested. And at the end of the day, you want somebody who's going to be there when you're down because it's easy to share candy, you know what I mean, to celebrate, mm-hmm. you know, when when everybody's up, especially coming after two championships. But I think they had a goal or they knew they had an opportunity to win three straight championships. So, the buy-in was, you know what I mean, you got to do whatever it takes. And to me, like, when I was there, that was a small, you know, those were small things compared to what I had seen in my first three years of the NBA. So whatever they were doing, to, to, to whatever two general, uh, gener, you know, these are generational NBA players, you know what I mean, I'm not, you know, they're top, probably being the top ten of all time. So whatever type of energy was involved for greatness, if you weren't, capable of being in that room and stomaching it and able to, you know, thrive in that environment, you weren't really level for, you know what I mean, championship mm-hmm. basketball at the end of the day. So that's why, you know, that's something that I come to 
realize in my later days, but you know, uh, that that's one. Once you're there and you're seeing, you're going through a season and seeing how much of a circus it is, and you know those petty, those petty little, even though they're arguments, even though they're having the game or practice, those are small things in comparison to the you know the overarching goal. Um, you touching a little bit there on your um, you know, experience in Seattle just reminded me of some of the stories in Jeff Perlman's book, like some of the Gary Payton anecdotes that you shared with him. So I'll just uh, remind any listeners out there who are interested in any good old school Gary Payton trash talking stories to again check out Jeff Perlman's book where Jelani is featured extensively. Yeah, um, Jeff and GP, that's my guy. Yeah. So again, touching on the drama from that season, you know, heading into the playoffs, uh, the Lakers sweep Portland, beat San Antonio in five, and then y'all have that classic seven game series with Sacramento. Uh, you know, aside from maybe Ori's game winner in game four, the game seven overtime win, what memories do you have of that uh, series specifically? To be honest with you, I, I remember the confident. And like it's been two guys in particular, Kobe and Shaq. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean. I I, I just knew. Uh, you know what I mean. There's for, for for some for some odd reason that it wasn't going to be the Sacramento Kings. There was going to stop the vibes that was going on. You know what I mean. So uh, just you know the tenacity and the, you know the different you know even the shifting you know. Those are tense moments, Jeff, and you know the Sacramento Kings have been already in a couple of t- tense games and moments with the Lakers. But when you tell them you're fighting for three world championships, you know just being in those moments and learning to capitalize off of mistakes and being able to come through and cut in, in the clutch like you know Robert Ory's had throughout his career and throughout his Laker career, it was just it's a remarkable thing to see when you know that all the preparation for the little things like those moments that happen uh, when it all comes together and when you're wondering why you're working on shit that Phil has us working on, it's like seems oddball and, you know, a waste of time. It's, it's, it come, when it comes to fruition and, and moments when he's not calling timeouts, you know what I mean? When the game is mm-hmm. on the line or to stop, you know, 10-0 runs, you understand, you know, some of the, you know, the, the hairball stuff that he had you do in practice was, was, was for a reason. Uh, I don't think I've ever asked anybody this, and I haven't thought about it until right now, just with what you said about not calling timeouts. When you're on the bench or even when you're in the game, is that frustrating? Or are you all just, you know, used to it? Or how? Did, what was your feeling on that? Uh, for me, it was cool because it was some it was some revolutionary-ish to me. You know what I mean? It was like not, I've never seen any, you know, in the NBA, somebody goes on an 8-0 run, you know, you call a timeout. I was just like, the you coaches just do it as soon as it happens. They don't look at anybody. Just, you know, that's kind of standard, you know what I mean, for a coach. But for Phil, just to let you play through it, you know what I mean? It was, like I said, it was for those moments when you're going to be on the road somewhere, you know what I mean, in some type of odd situation when you're not going to be able to get a call in. Or, you know, to me, I totally dug it because it gives the, it makes, puts the other team at a, at, a, at, a, at, a, at a loss because they're expecting that timeout too. Right, they're operating mm-hmm. under the same, you know, uh, yeah, eight zero run. You know, they're pumping their fists, looking at the crowd. You know, looking over at the fan. They're playing <laughs> the A music, hey, right? You thinking that timeout's about to come, and then all of a sudden, you know, D Fish brings the ball down the court, or 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 Kobe brings the ball down the court, or you know, it could have been Devin. You know what I mean? Because everybody knows the position, and that was double about the triangle because they'll be like. 
well, why is he walking the ball into the offense, you know what I mean, initiating the offense, you know, with the game on the line? So uh-huh. that was, you know, that was an adjustment for an opposing coach, you know what I mean? So I just love to be on the opposite side of, of some, uh, some, you know what I mean, some, some, some not, it was a, uh, it was inventive, you know what I mean? It was inventive by Phil. It was changing the normal thing. It was disruption at its finest. So I was right, happy yeah. to be on the side of a coach, you know, who was changing, you know, what what what, what was typically seen uh, as an NBA, NBA coach. Yeah. Yeah, that was your one year in L.A. And then doing it – I mean, I knew you had obviously been on the Sonics and you're, you're on the Raptors and had finished your career in Denver. But uh, given that he's a Laker now, I didn't realize that you had had a short stint in Cleveland in LeBron's rookie season. I did. That was the first time I had ever been cut from anything in my life, damn it. And I did not enjoy it, you know what I mean? But uh, that Uh was the collective bargaining agreement. At the end of the day, I was a victim of, you know, my years of experience and and all kind of other CBA nonsense. But yeah. yeah, I was there with LeBron my uh, my rookie year. Got a chance to get in some training camp and some uh, some good minutes with him in the preseason. Uh, yeah. Playing with Elgoskis too. I love Z. That's my dog, Zildjianis Elgoskis, one of the best mm-hmm. bigs of all time. Uh, you know, despite if it was it wasn't there for in, uh, injuries, Ricky Davis was a friend of mine. I got to play with, so that was a great year to see. You know, LeBron his rookie year. You know what I mean? Go through that transformation. And, you know, to be become, you know, it was the start of a whole thing. What is it, year 20 now? Are we close to year 20? Is it year 20? I think, I think this is going to be his 18th, this season that's about to start. Yeah, that was like yeah, year one to 18th. So that was crazy. <laughs> does that feel like 18 years ago, LeBron's rookie season? With it you? doesn't. It doesn't because he still looks the same. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, it's, different when players, it's different when players fall off and you're like, oh, yeah, it's starting to settle in on him a little bit. You know uh-huh. what I mean? But he's still he's still playing at a high level, so it seems like just yesterday when he came in the league. What was um you had a whole year with the Lakers versus a short stint in Cleveland, but just in terms of the hype that went with the Lakers, but then like the hype that came with like rookie LeBron, uh like what was like difference there between, you know, being there was the- nothing close. There was nothing close, you know what I mean, especially being a Laker fan and being, you know, I lived in Los Angeles at the time. I kept, I always kept a place in Los Angeles and then obviously a place wherever I had to play, but home base was L.A. So mm-hmm. um, there's nothing like being, you know, the love you get like it is what everybody says it and it is true. There's nothing that, like the love you get at being a winner in Los Angeles, whether that be the Kings, the Dodgers, the Trojans, the Bruins. You know what I mean? Whatever, whatever it is in Los Angeles, when you're winning, especially for the you know Los Angeles Lakers franchise, and have being a part of you know a three P every day, you know, with the traveling circus at the hotels, the autograph guys, oh yeah, uh, the, the the fans. You know what I mean? That was, to be honest with you, that was the first time when I started to see like the the global the the globalness of the NBA. People flying in from China and different countries to see Kobe and Shaq. Because you got to remember, Kobe and Shaq, they were doing albums and shit and yeah. making movies. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, like, uh-huh. that was, like, really, like, really what tipped me off to, like, oh, dude, people are starting to, like, come from all around the world to see to see the Lakers and see these two dudes. So it was really uh, crazy to see, you know, people from different countries at the ho- different hotels around you know really all throughout the year for 82 games it really didn't stop you know what i mean so every time mm-hmm. we touched down out of city it was kind of like a deal so 
I would say there there besides, you know, that was LeBron's, you know, that that was one man versus, you know, a whole team of oh, rock yeah. stars at the end of the day. So, you know, that's big the difference of being a solo artist versus having, you know, being <laughs> a part of a badass band. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Um, I got one last question for you. Uh, so when I was looking for some highlights for you the other day, I found another video of you and Samaki Walker going iPad, I'm sorry, iPod shopping, like back in 2001. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's on the internet. And uh, y'all were saying that Shaq was giving everybody grief for having like Walkman still, or maybe a, a CD. Uh, yeah, so yeah. Was, there were these other MP3 players too. They were huge. Uh-huh. They were like the size of CD players. <laughs> at the time and actually we had got it from Shaq as a matter of fact you know what I mean but <laughs> he got us like these other uh found us these other like mp3 players with the size of like cd walkman things they used to play uh-huh. cds that also but he was the first to have uh ipods so we were like we went to the mall of america to find those i'll never forget that that was a fun <laughs> time yeah. yeah, it was just, it's a funny video hearing everybody talk about Shaq giving everybody grief and they had to get with the times and get an ipod yeah, that's how that's how big fella was. But the cool thing about it is, if you couldn't find one, he would find one for you. One would oh, magically okay. appear. Yeah, <laughs> so you know that way he wouldn't just clown you like that. Big fella would take care of you. That's one thing people need to know about Shaq. You know what I mean? If you ever needed him in a pinch, or you know what I mean, he'd give you a random gift. You know what I mean? If you if you, if he was cool with you like that, so that's one thing people need to know about Shaq is he, he's the ultimate giver first, as well as a you know. As a, as a, as far as being a teammate and a person. Yeah, I've heard a lot of guys talk about his generosity. And as somebody who grew up as just like the world's biggest Shaq fan, it's always cool to hear. It most definitely is. Yeah. And I want to, like I said, I want to thank you for those, um, like like that, that, that post that you mm-hmm. guys made. Because one thing that I do remember from like, playing with Kobe and I, I remember those were like some of my first minutes playing with him on the Lakers. I do remember like the amount of pressure you're in kind of as a, as a reserve, especially as a big getting a dump off from Kobe Bryant. Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> man, I'm telling you, dog. I watched that thing over probably about 20 times. You definitely got 20 views for me at least because oh. I just remember like, <laughs> Because that's, as a big, I'm telling you, and you've seen it from Lakers, from me, you know what I mean, probably during that year in basketball, bigs or throughout the year, that is an easy layup to smoke. Oh, you know right. I mean? Cause it, yeah, because it's in that weird area. You can try to quick it. You you can try to dunk it. But we had a weird dunk. Uh, we had a weird angle, and it'll bounce off the front of the rim. So I literally remember squaring my shoulders back to the rim, a la Carlos Boozer-type finish so that I can make sure that I can get my eyes on the basket to finish that play. Cause there was no way in hell, Jeff, that I was going to smoke that layup. So I just was taking myself back to that time. Like there is no way I can smoke this layup. You know what I mean? <laughs> because that it'll definitely never come back in here. You know what I mean? And that was a time when he was exploring his offensive capabilities. So mm-hmm. there was never really a shot that he didn't like, you know right. what I mean? That was like, that was like, you know, first incendiary uh, wick of Black Mamba when he was taking those mm-hmm. tough shots. And, you know, Phil used to be over there like, pass the ball, Kobe, you know yeah. what I mean, and all that uh, and all that other stuff. So uh, I just remember being like, man, you got to make this. Like, like I wanted to dunk it so bad, but at the end of the day, I was like, 
this has to be a converted two points or this man will never pass you the ball ever in the history of, of ever anything. So I was like, mm-hmm. I don't want that to happen, so let me make sure I give it a good old high school layup. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was fun digging that one up. And when I was like kind of re- researching that game or I had the game pulled up and I was looking for your particular basket, um, I did. I came across – where he was, he drove and kind of dumped it off to Madsen, and he bobbled it, and it basically went out of bounds. And you could just you see, see what I'm, like, I'm sorry. <laughs> I said you see that exactly. I was like, you see what I'm saying? That's a once yeah. you get that pass, it's so easy to bobble it, or uh-huh. you weren't expecting it because you're used to him shooting it. So you know what I mean? There's yeah. so much pressure on those little passes. And I could like read Kobe's lips when it the camera put on him. It was like catch the effing ball or something like that. Yeah, that he was always on that. At least catch it. Like, yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so you could throw it back to him if you get in trouble. At least. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, would you mind if I asked, uh, like, how you found out about his passing in January? Um, I actually found out from a from a good friend of mine. Uh, mm-hmm. He was actually telling me he was reading something on a social media site, and I love he cussed him out because I was like, "That's I don't you know that's not something we plan with on a on a social media site." So uh, right. I found out that way. Then I actually got a call from another uh, friend of mine, uh, Baron Davis, about oh, you know, yeah. 10, 15, not ten fifteen minutes later. So uh, that's when I pretty much you know knew it was official and. Uh, and you know everything everything came crashing down like you know everybody else so that that was my you know what I mean the first time I found out about it sucks still sucks you know what I mean I know it's coming up doesn't even feel like it's been a year but you know what I mean it never feels right you know what I mean you just I'm still even getting used to it kind of getting teared up now talking about it but um, you know what I mean at the end of the day you know we, we do need to talk about it because we need to be strong you know, Vanessa's being strong. She's being strong for the daughters and his sister. I'm a good friend with his sister, Shea. So uh, who am I to, you know, not not be strong and get, get being able to get over, you know, uh, mm-hmm. some of my uh, memories and moments with a good friend and a teammate. So, um, uh, so it'll always be hard, but, you know what I mean, we got to keep being strong for his memory. Absolutely. Um, still doesn't feel real in so many ways. And, um, you know, like you said, still struggling with it. I know Lakers nation as a whole definitely is, but uh, I, I appreciate you answering that. I was, didn't, wasn't sure if I was going to ask, but um, I appreciate your answer. No, I'm an open book, man. Even if I started crying or something, I would, I would, I would have went with it. You know what I mean? Like I said, it's something like, uh, I feel like eventually, you know, some of us, I'm not going to open up all the way, you know, share, you know, my moments with Kobe, but at some point in the time, you know, I feel like some of us do need to, you know, at least, you know, consider, you know, talking about it and, you know, sharing just some of the moments. If you so choose to, you know what I mean? Some of the, I get it. I'm one of those people. I'm a private person and I know I wouldn't share a whole bunch of stories about, you know, Kobe at the end of the day, but you know what I mean? If it is about memorializing him and being strong, you know what I mean? And and preserving his memory, I'm all for it. But, I'm also all for people, teammates, family members, you know what I mean, trainers, whatever it is, whatever moment you have with Kobe, like I'm also all for you keeping that moment to yourself, you know, and just sharing that with the ones you love as opposed to, you know, a podcast or, you know, doing something because for a moment there, it was it could have been easy for you to mention Kobe's name or be a teammate and do a couple of interviews and, you know, 
put yourself back out there. So, you know, I respect those. You know, I respect those who do tell stories, and I do respect those who keep their mouth shut and, you know, hold those memories to themselves. So to each his own, and, you know what I mean, like I said, as long as if it's in a positive manner, I'm all for it. Completely agree. Well, uh, thank you so much for your time tonight, Jelani. Um, You know, I'll uh, be sure to keep looking for some highlights from your Laker days, and as soon as I find one, I'll post you and tag you again. Oh, man, that was awesome. If you do, I would really appreciate it, Jeff. Good luck to you in the podcast, man. And tell Slava to get a, get on the pod, man. If I got, if I'm I'm gonna read close to Slava. If I can beat you, if I don't let me beat you to the pod. So Slava's a good dude. I hope you track him down because I'm sure he has. You know, he was with the team a little longer than me, uh-huh. and I'm pretty sure I, I can't wait to hear his insight. <laughs> Will do. Thanks again, Jelani. Take care. No doubt, you too.